Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast, where we are talking about practical insight for social change. I'm your host, Andre Henry, and joining me from North Carolina is my co-host, Alicia T. Crosby. How are you doing, Alicia? I'm pretty good, and I'm really excited about today's show, as I am every week that we do this. Um, oh. I mean, the reason that we get we genuinely get so hyped is because we're talking to people who we've always wanted to talk to, and I know that this guest this week is someone who Andre's been following for a while on on the social media, and uh-huh. Andre, how about you tell us about this week's guest? Yes, this week we are talking with Jill Louise Busby, and she is actually hey. the first person that I interviewed for the Hope and Heart Pills podcast. I know this is, I don't know, episode eight or nine, I don't know. We didn't go in order. She's the first person that I interviewed, the first person that I thought of I want to talk to when I decided I want to do a podcast. And she is so brilliant. And I cannot wait to share this conversation because a part of a part of why we're doing this show is of course, to give practical insight about social change, but it's also to highlight Black voices. And so I just think this is someone that you got to know about. You need to check out her work. Okay, so we're going to get into her interview in just a second. But remember, before we do, it's cuffing season. And during cuffing season, I release some tracks for you to listen to. We're going to play a snippet for you here. So enjoy the song. And then right after that, we're talking with Jill. Hi, Jill. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. Um, Jill is a writer, and um, I've been following Jill for a few years now and have just really appreciated her voice. And she's just always kind of sharing her mind and just speaking her mind online. And she has a lot of good things to say. And so I've been telling everyone the thing that if you want to be an anti-racist, you should listen to Black people. And I think that I think that Jill is is definitely one of those Black people that you should be listening to. So. We're going to hear some about uh, your story and everything today. So, Jill, Perfect. you were saying that you are, um, you're working on a writing project right now. You want to tell us a little bit as much as, as much as you want about it? As much as I can. Yeah, yeah I'm working on a, a film, I'm writing a screenplay. Um, and I won't get into the specifics too much, but it's basically I was called to write it because of my... Um, I'll call it fascination uh, <laughs> with identity. And it's a very identity focused uh, project, sort of both getting into that and also unraveling it. Um, and it will be um, using like a, a storyline that we're kind of familiar with, but for a different purpose. And that's what I will say, but it's <laughs> very good for me because um, it's challenging. And I also think it forces me to, take this conversation out of our usual rhetoric and mm-hmm. um, like safe zones and put it into something else. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time we don't get the opportunity 
to do that because we're so used to having this conversation in one way. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like the only way to go forward in it is to like be bolder or say more of the thing, <laughs> but no one ever is like, why am I not trying it this way? Mm. Um, so I think, well, there are a lot of reasons for that, but I'm excited to get to do it in a different way and approach it differently. And I'm also very excited to use fiction yeah. to do it. So yeah. that's exciting for me. Well, it's interesting. And I think what's, what I've been interested in, especially, is I feel like I've seen uh, you on a journey online. And so when you say, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you know, identity was a big, big theme. Um, the thing that I think of is your handle on Instagram being kind of this identity marker, right? Jill <laughs> is. Yes. Right. Yes. One so, thing. <laughs> Just that. Yeah. So could could you maybe talk about the development of how did you get started on Instagram? What were you trying to do? And I shouldn't just say Instagram, but how did you get started kind of putting your thoughts out there and, yeah. and deciding on Jill is Black? And then how did that change? <laughs> um, Jill is Black is an, it's kind of an accidental handle for me. Um, I've been using the same handle for many different things for many years and it was taken already. Um, Mm. and so I wanted to make an Instagram quickly and I was just like, uh, I don't know. Jill is black. (laughs) So (laughs) I chose it It went with it, but it was a, I guess it was more one of those sort of destiny things. Um, when I first started, I think social media has always seemed like a very strange place for me. It, it was immediately about performance. So I never was one of those people who even tried to convince themselves that I was doing something mm. that was me or reflecting myself. For me, it was always like, oh, this is where we come to play, you know, like nice. put on some kind of show. So I would like post these selfies because that's what we do. And under the selfies, they would have these ridiculous, mostly comedic captions. And that's mm. what I was known for. So mm. it was like, I had like a small group of people, maybe like 5,000 people. And I was cool with that. And when they came out with the video feature, um, I started playing around with it a little bit in terms of comedy. And people would be like, oh, we like the videos. You should do that. And I'm like, I hate these. I will never do this. <laughs> and so um, I, I was working in a nonprofit, uh, an incredibly problematic one that will go unnamed, but it's nationwide that we never mm-hmm. critique. Um mm-hmm on the liberal side that is and uh-huh. so i was i was working there and just really really frustrated i had a job in diversity and inclusion of course because i'm a black queer woman and that's how they mm-hmm. hire you yeah. and so i was doing that work super frustrated and the idea of like gradualism kept circling in my head and i was just I was tired i was tired of the like we're doing this we're learning jill it's going to be a process Ooh, i yeah. was you know and so i made a video in response to that and uh, woke up the next morning with 20,000 more followers. Wow. Um, Yes. So basically it's like, I'm not one of those people who started this, like with the intention of becoming a speaker and this and that. It was more, it was like a viral accident. And then Mm -hmm. I took the weekend and was like, you have the skills for this. Like you can do something here. What are you going to do? And what's your charge? And um, also how are you going to perform it? Because that part never escaped me. Like I was still in the mode of like, yeah. Right. So then you just transform this sort of character, um, but you can make her say what you want her to say. Um, mm-hmm. So to say that Jill is black as me is is silly because yeah, I am more things than that. But um, I certainly used the idea of like this two D image um, as a vehicle for certain points, and it it worked. Wow, out. it's such an artistic approach to being 
online. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It had to be because or else it's just, it's bananas. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I scroll through every day and just watch people say that they're being themselves. And um, that's fine. If you want to say that, I don't care. But it's, it's untrue. Um, right. I don't know that it's possible for us to show up here um, in this virtual high school and be ourselves. But if we want to say it, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good analogy um, for that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you're, you're showing up as a representative of yourself, but it would be terrifying Mm -hmm. to actually bring yourself. So that's certainly Mm -hmm. not what you're doing. This is so interesting. And I'm glad that we're, I mean, we're getting acquainted even as we're, as I'm interviewing you. So it's, it's interesting because I remember when I sent you a message about talking, I was like, so how should I refer to you? Like, what do you, <laughs> and it's funny because I've been following you for years and I still didn't know how I would describe what it yeah. is that you do online anyway, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so how would you describe what you're doing in that space? Um, I wouldn't. Uh, I think it's important to be intentionally ambiguous about it these days because there's so many titles that have been assigned. And since I started doing this to now, things have really changed, you know? Um, Mm-hmm. I think we've seen capitalism take over this realm. And so yeah. you have to put influencer behind it or you're a speaker lecturer. Everybody's got to write a book real quick. That's the trajectory. Right. Um, and so it actually has grown more important to just be like, I don't know, whatever you want to say it is, that's what it is. <laughs> um, and it also became important to not rely on it too much because I have a life and then I have the internet and I want the internet to complement what I'm doing. I don't want to change myself to complement what the internet is doing. So, um, you know, I've struggled for many years to be like, so just because this is the thing, you know, and everyone, and what that means is like, there's fame of some sort, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or success or whatever you want to call it. So everyone would assume that, of course, that would be what I would allow to drive my ship, my whole life ship. And it's been very important for me to be like, no, if I only want to post 32 times in 2018, that's what's going to happen. And if I lose followers, (laughs) that's what's going to happen. And I'm not saying that that's easy because, of course, we can all be transfixed by attention. But it's become very important to not need to call myself anything. If you want me to come speak at your thing, sure, I'll do it. Um, And I'm going to be whatever this version of myself is. But um, I'm a writer. I used to be mostly a fiction writer. These days that's changed a little bit, but yeah, that's about it. Um, The ambiguity has really worked for me in terms of not getting Mm -hmm. caught up. That's very cool. So I'm going to send this to this list about racism. So Mm -hmm. I've got to, I've got to bring up something about race. Otherwise you're going to be like, you guys were really cool. That was a great conversation, but why did you send this to us? Right. Right. (laughs) How does race and, and you mentioned identity being a response to oppression how does that factor into your work? Um, I mean, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm black, I'm queer, I'm a woman, I'm a cis woman. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's relevant because the work that I'm doing is in society. And it's in society that these things matter. What I would encourage us to remember is that like, if I gave my whole life to white people, if I let every part of who I am be about them, which was would be like a response to their racism, there wouldn't be a Mm. point to being here. And I won't let them have that. So, um, you know, there's, there's something beyond whatever you believe is fine, but 
I certainly believe that there's a bigger purpose and that purpose has overtaken my sort of like societal desire to call people out and make them accountable. And I also, I think I got to a roadblock where I was like, if white people think that they're winning, what will stop them? You know, it'd be like, it would be like a race where it will, you know, maybe that's not the best word to use, but like a, (laughs) like a relay race where the winner just stops and like says, Oh, Oh wait, I want us all to. And I don't think that's where we are. Um, I think for me, what feels important is if you think that whiteness, not necessarily white people, but whiteness and this system and this world and this current reality is winning, then I have great empathy for you because this is very sad. Um, This Mm. is a sad existence. This is not the best of what we can do. And if this is what you would like to be the winner of, um, then there's nothing I can do for you. (laughs) There's nothing I can do. I mean, tell me what you win. And that would be the conversation that I would want to have Um, because there's an honesty, there's an authenticity, there's uh, a community, there's all sorts of things, a a fight in uh, communities of color or people say we shouldn't use that term anymore. I don't know. You know, it's all about the term. Um, <laughs> but that is almost like a, an accidental purpose. You know, like we have yeah. to be there. We have to see this as a messed up reality. And the idea that mm-hmm. white people think that this is working for them and that this isn't messed up is terrifying. I've used that word a lot, yeah. but it's, it's terrifying. And when yeah. I show up to do speaking engagements and I say to white people, whiteness isn't even working for white people. They look at me mm. with such blank faces. <laughs> I can say <laughs> I can say anything else, but the second I tell you, also, yeah, you, you're not the one percent. You're not doing well. You don't have to show up to your right. nine to five every day. You're not on a whole bunch of prescription medication to make it through your life. This is working for right. you. Like it's not. Um, so <laughs> that's fine. But I think that's the part that I'm focused on right now. Is like why white people think it's working at all and when we say things like white privilege i don't use that term because that would mean that there is privilege um in this and i can't just be bothered with society like okay fine societal privilege that's fine but like right but like that's a that's a privilege Mm -hmm. i don't right yeah no that's okay (laughs) yeah it's like it's like the bare minimum of a deal right it's like you know sure like we get to not be black is right, I think, and that's what you're referring to basically. right mm-hmm. i want to ask because you mentioned it, that there are people who want to or people working to bring about change in the world and i don't want to assume so i'm i'm wondering if a part of your work is to bring about a change in the world and if so what what kind of change do you hope to bring about i think you know the the honesty is revolutionary thing is that's become sort of my tagline. I still mean, um, from beginning from the beginning of this to now, I still definitely mean that there's a self awareness that I'm pushing now. Um, in the beginning, it was like honesty, meaning I want you to have the same conversations with white people that you have about white people with black people. Because if you are mm-hmm. a black person who believes in white people, then don't set them up with a whole bunch of like academic language and you know, um, Mm. weird ways to talk about the thing and some articles. No, like, come on, let's just say what you would say (laughs) at lunch with your black friends um, and at least give them a fighting Mm. chance or else we don't think that they can do anything um, or it won't be an honest attempt. So I was encouraging black people to have more honest conversations. 
no matter what. And I don't, I didn't really care what the effect amongst white people was, have them anyway. Um, and at this point, sure. Yeah. But additionally, I think it's like, and also yourself. Uh, if you could focus in on being your best self, your most aware self, your most conscious self, not like conscious, like just it this way, but also like in a deeper way than that. Um, if you are feeling good, this work will be more impactful and we can guarantee that it won't be about capitalism, power, ego, fame, getting enough money that you can actually ignore the problem, which is a lot of people's desire. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, mm -hmm. then it would be about something else. And I think that's a long-term strategy and people don't like long-term strategies. Yeah. We like short-term. But the thing that I've been saying recently that seems very true for me right now is uh, reminding people that everything that we're doing right now in 10 years will be problematic. <laughs> and if you could remember that, then I think you would have a lot more empathy for the journey, um, including your own. And that like, we're acting like the society, excuse me, the society is chaotic, but right now, and we're looking back and we have to throw away all the celebrities and this and that. No, it's been 10 to 20 years, maybe 30 years are. Um, mm -hmm. And now it's a problem because we're evolving. This should be a good sign. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible. Um, it's, not, it's not to say that you don't hold people accountable. It simply means, hey, as a reminder, this is part of an evolution. And so these aren't mm -hmm. bad signs. These are awesome signs. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Jill, I really appreciate your time. And this conversation has just been, I mean, enriching for me personally. I'm, hope, I'm, I'm excited for those who will listen. Yes, no, it's been great. They were great questions. People usually ask me, you know, like influencery questions. <laughs> so. You know, it's like, Jill, how did you get started? How do you maintain your following? How do you, and you know, because that's the part that they're really after. So I appreciate the, um, yeah, the sincerity and uh, the work that you do as well. Thank you so much. And where, where should people go to uh, follow your work? To or to book me, depending on when my credit card bill is due. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where can people hire you? <laughs> yeah, no. It's that's okay. Um, but yeah, if you want to, well, I'll make the decision <laughs> if I do it. Um, it's uh, you can unfollow me or follow me at Jill's Black on Instagram and Facebook. I also have Jill'sBlack.com, um, and that's about it. I don't have anything really to promote, but you should be watching my show with my mom probably, because <laughs> that's where my real fun is. <laughs> but yeah, just Jill'sBlack.com or uh, Jill's Black everywhere else. Doesn't have to be Doesn't have to be this way Doesn't have to be No, it doesn't have to be this way So, I am incredibly jealous that you got to have this conversation with Jill Andre Just gonna <laughs> let you know Mm -hmm. she is brilliant and amazing and had such insightful things to say and oh god it's like where do I start I know where I start with my favorite thing I'm gonna start with identity <laughs> so at the top end of the conversation that y'all had Jill said that these days she feels like identity is a reaction to oppression and mm -hmm. I had to sit with that um, yeah I love that quote, by the way. That, like that was it's, it's so, so good. Fun. blew me away 
Yeah. It's so good. But like, even in its goodness, I had questions because of course I did. Um, <laughs> and I'll ask those in a second. But I'm wondering, like, after, you know, listening to this very first interview that you had done for, for Hope and Hard Pills, like, what? Did, how are you feeling? What were the first thoughts that came to your mind in, in re-listening to that, that time that you had with Jill? I'm not going to do it because we want to hear your thoughts, Alicia. I want to know what you think. <laughs> I'm not going to do Damn it. it Andre. I fell for it last time. <laughs> last time I was like, okay, we're going to get what Alicia thinks about this interview. And the first thing she did was ask me what I think, and I and I fell for it. But it's not happening. Not today. Not today. <laughs> Ah, so I like I'm the question asker. Like I have the questions. Um, okay, this is the thing. Like, but because <laughs> especially for this, because I'm like Alicia deals so much with identity. Is what I was thinking. Is like, nah, this is this. No, we gotta know. So <laughs> that, that that what came up for so, you in this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you turn this back around on me? Um, I mean, so in, in response to that quotation, identity is a reaction to oppression. I was wondering if it's true. Um, and mm. is it identity? Mm-hmm. Is it identity is a reaction to oppression? Or is it like, you know, wanting to join t- together with people who share in that identity? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like the identities that we claim, like what things are actually linked to oppression, like what things are linked to privilege. Um, yeah, like the way that my brain functions is I often think in questions, um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm so good at asking them. But like another thing that came <laughs> up um, was I started thinking about the identities that people try to affix to us and Jill's yeah. pushback at being labeled an influencer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was like that was fascinating because like, you know, there is a lot of um, uh, there are a lot of advantages that, that come with being an influencer in our culture. I mean, mm-hmm. like literally there are like, you know, there's financial benefit for people. There's degrees of social status. And it, it it was not just interesting, but like refreshing to see someone like reject that. And it's just like, nah, yeah. like I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I think her 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 posture of saying there's no way to show up in a real way here. So I didn't even try. Mm-hmm. Is really interesting. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, mm-hmm. that you know, you're you're gonna be a character. And that's something that I feel online too, where it's like, I am trying to be myself online. But I realize that no matter how honest I try to be, that the experience of me is never gonna be like, you know, you and I have sat in the same room together. You know, we talk on the phone regularly. Um, the person on the other side of that screen is still interacting with me as a two-dimensional avatar. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So I'm wondering if there are any identities that like other people have tried to affix to you um, that you've taken issue with or rejected, or even if it's not the identity, it's like, could be an identity marker. So an example could be, um, and this is what I actually push back at, um, is when people call me African-American instead of Black, like I have reasons yeah. for why I've chosen to identify as Black. Um, mm-hmm. versus like African American. So I'm wondering if there are anything like any identities for you where like you push back at people or you reject what they've like named you as. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I didn't like being called African American. Uh, I didn't even like being called Black when I was young because I'm like I'm Jamaican. I didn't want my Jamaicanness to be um, erased. 
Um, mm-hmm. Part of that too also has to do though with like anti-blackness within black communities because there's also like mm-hmm. an anti-black, you know, hearing Jamaican people, you know, kind of talk in an anti-black way about African-Americans. Um, mm-hmm. th- but I have, you know, I grew to embrace, you know, the identity of blackness. The other identity that's been affixed to me that I did not appreciate, the high school nerd. <laughs> so you called me a nerd and you didn't like being called a nerd. Okay. But tell I me more about that, Andre. Then I called you a nerd. You did call yourself a nerd. You did, you did call yourself a nerd. Then, you did, you did yes, I did. <laughs> you know. Um, no, I didn't like that uh, because it was, a, you know, a pejorative <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, to be called that way. Like to be in high school and have someone just knock your books out of your hand just for no other reason than you are a, a thin kid with glasses holding books. And Aww. this is how those labels work, right? Is, yeah. Yeah. you know, I'm not going to say that the nerd is the other N-word because people don't get lynched for being nerds. But, but this, is what, this is what people do is they create this category, they put a label on you, and it does, you know, function in that way. So that's why I didn't like that because... Um, it meant that I was unlovable or undesirable or just other. Yeah, just other. Oh, baby Andre. Hmm? Oh, baby Andre. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so like thinking about like, you know, going back to like the use of black and African-American, what's interesting is like, I I mean, I guess I can explain to y'all now, like why it is that I push back at like being called african-american it's very similar to like your your explanation andre like my family you know is both black american and also like black caribbean Mm -hmm. and so like the more that like i understood about that like you know you know my grandfather's from jamaica and i've got like family from barbados that i I recently found out about yeah but like i didn't want to erase that part of my heritage and so for me like taking hold of like Black American, like, gave honor to the African-American folks in my family, as well as those, like, who were in the islands, um, whether or not, like, I had the opportunity to know them, because, like, I didn't know my grandfather. My grandfather died before I was born. He actually died when my mom was really young. But, like, it's still a part of who I am. And even though it's maybe not a part that I'll ever know super well, I want to make room in, like, my understanding of my own personal Blackness to honor the fact that, like, my family and my roots aren't just on United States soil. Um, yeah. yeah. So that has a lot of resonance with me. Yeah. No, I hear that. You know, I, I learned to embrace my Jamaicanness in without having to put a wedge between that and the African American community. And honestly, I would say that my experience of the world has been more like an African American, you know, than anything else, because the police have never asked me what kind of black I am when they pull me over. You know what I mean? Like, you know, black is black. They're not like, no, wait a minute. Like, are you, are you Caribbean black? Because in that case, you're free to go. <laughs> oh God, no, the um, world does not make distinctions. No, no, it doesn't do that. So I, I learned to embrace that. In... Okay. So I'm reading this book. The reason I chuckle is because I was talking to my boss today and she was like, Andre, I never know what's going to come after I'm reading this book. Like, it always surprises me what you're reading. <laughs> 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 no, stop guessing. Stop guessing at this point. 
But this one makes sense. So I'm reading this anthology of Black political thought from the antebellum days to Barack Obama. And I'm just getting through Frederick Douglass's uh, writings. Mm-hmm. And he has one. And I, I guess it was a speech, maybe. And the question of the speech was, what are we supposed to do with the enslaved people once they're emancipated? And Frederick Douglass says, just leave us alone. <laughs> well, that's it, y'all. That's the show. <laughs> There's nothing else to say. <laughs> he says, just leave us alone you don't have to do anything with us or to us or or for us just leave us alone and it made me think so much about now i think that there's some nuance that needs to be added to that you know because Mm -hmm. like you don't just free an enslaved person and not compensate them you know like we compensated the slave owners that you know how how could we not think that you Mm -hmm. should compensate the enslaved people okay but i digress um but I, but the point that he's making about how we need space, like we just need space to live, to breathe, and to enjoy full human lives, uh, just spoke to me. And I feel like white people, white Americans, many of them really do ha- have this like compulsion to just be in the midst of Black people, to be connected to Black people. And the the most, like the... The antagonistic form of that are the barbecue Beckys and the dumpster Debbies who are like, well, black people are doing something over there. Gotta gotta go make sure, gotta go make sure everything is is all right on up and up. Oh yeah, you didn't see Dumpster Debbie the other day though. I just said (laughs) she 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 blocked this man who was taking out the trash, a black man who was taking out the trash. She pulls her car up in front of him and stops him and it's like, You don't live here. And he's like, Why do you think I don't live here? And then he tries to drive away and she gets out of her car and puts her body in front of his car and won't let him. See. So see, yes. Now you should now adult Andre would not have hit you, but <laughs> but young Andre <laughs> Young Andre would have tapped you with with his car. Like minding your business is all the way free. Like Right. I mean, there's a there's a cost to. I mean, but you know what? This is making me think about like you know, what would it mean if also those people who are acting in such a fashion would take up this free minding of business, minding of their business? Like, what would it mean for them? Like, like seriously, this question could be turned back on them. This question could be turned back on them. Like, what would it mean for them to resist giving those systems their energy? What else could you do, Debbie? Right, right. Becky, Barbara, Imagine Susan, Brad. What I'm else could y'all do? You know, like you got to make sure that no black people are causing any trouble anywhere. So that's the far antagonistic spe- side of the mm. spectrum on that, right? But it also, mm. but it's also present in kind of the more liberal, you know, ally identifying white people who just feel like mm. they have to be in the mix, you know. Like, yes, we need white people to fight white supremacy. We need white people to dismantle white supremacy. But do it because you don't want to be like your ancestors. Do it because you're desperate to not be a racist. Do it because you're desperate to not participate in the systems of harm because you want your hands to be clean. Uh, But this obsession Mm -hmm. that many white Americans have with black people. Listen to Frederick Douglass. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and for those of you who are sitting at home, 
saying, well, I am not the one. You know what? Guess what? You don't have to be white to be in like you to be complicit in doing these things because we can talk about any system of dominance whether it be heterosexuality whether it be those who are able-bodied whether it be those who are neurotypical there are ways in which folks are complicit in not minding their own not not letting people just be and 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 then also like giving back to them like what they're due yeah i gotta give you another example Mm -hmm. please do please do I saw today on Facebook, a friend of mine posted, uh, I guess it's a meme. It was a picture, right? And it was like an outline of a human. And there was an arrow pointing to where the genitals would be. And there was an arrow pointing to where the head would be. And the meme said, gender is here pointing to the genitals, not here pointing to the head. And I'm thinking... Okay. What kind of of head ass? I'm a cisgender heterosexual male. Okay. Why do we think (laughs) that it's our responsibility to police how everybody else thinks about themselves? You know? Questions and answers. Questions that need answers. Yes. I mean, why why are you as as a cis head person like spending your days obsessing? Why are you pressed? Why are you pressed? Spending your days obsessing over how other people, over other people's genitals, you know, like, and what they're doing with them. Furthermore, you don't have this experience. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell someone else how they experience the world if you're not, you know know what I'm saying? Like, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even, <laughs> even like, you know, I mean, but, but that's the thing is that someone would be so reductive as to like to essentialize, right? It's like, it's what have they call it? Bioessentialism. Like you're reducing mm-hmm. people down to their genitals and like, and not even acknowledging the fact that like, you know, genitals and genetics and physiology is so much more varied than a binary would allow us to understand. Like, right. you sound like and, head and ass because you are. Like, and the thing is, you stop. don't know. That's my thing. It's like you're you're making you comments anything. on things that you don't know. You don't. You're not learning. White people don't know what it's like to be black. Cis people don't know what it's like to be to to identify as non-binary or to be intersex or to you know or to or to be trans. You, you, straight people don't know what it's like to be queer. Like you don't know. So so why do you feel like you? Why do you feel like why you were an authority? Why you're an authority, yeah, exactly. you need to get in the mix. You, to, you don't know the Kool-Aid. No, why, are you, why? Why are you trying to always see everything? Why? You know? why? <laughs> exactly. Dipping in the Kool-Aid, don't know the flavor. Thank you, Corey Booker, the by the way, for, for reintroducing that into um, our, our our popular nomenclature because I hadn't heard in a long time for the Democratic debates this year. And I was like, oh, yeah, we did used to say that. Yeah, we did. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we know that we include questions in our show notes, but we're trying something a little bit new this week where we'll actually share some of these questions again after the episode um, for you to consider as you're driving, going throughout your day and what have you. So Jill had noted that identity is a reaction to oppression. Think about the identities that you possess. What is the first identity you remember claiming? What identity or identities do you claim most ardently now? What identities have others tried to affix to you that you've taken issue with or rejected? 
What would it look like to resist giving systems of dominance our lives and energies while still cultivating space that affirms those impacted by their impression? Jill notes that in 10 years, everything we say could end up being problematic. What could it look like to hold people accountable, but also cultivate empathy for others and ourselves as we work to disengage from toxic patterns, thoughts, speech, and behaviors as we evolve? We live in a culture in which it's easy to call others out, but what sort of things do you need to check yourself on? How do you hold yourself accountable as you work towards personal and social transformation? Well, thanks everyone for listening this time. Uh, We'll talk to you later. Yeah, we appreciate you spending your time with us. Take care, y'all. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts also helps us get into more ears and minds. This podcast is made possible by our fantastic patrons. Thank you for being a part of our work at Hope and Hard Pills. As usual, you'll get the uncut extended version of this episode on Patreon. If you want to join in on the work on our Patreon community, just look us up at patreon.com slash Andre Henry. To go deeper, get subscribed to our email newsletter. Head over to andrerhenry.com and click join the movement where you'll get practical insight on anti-racism and social change every week. And you'll never miss a new article, song, or podcast episode. You can also follow Andre Henry on Facebook and Instagram at TheAndreHenry. Connect with Alicia on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alicia T. Crosby and her website, AliciaTCrosby.com. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. See you next time. Peace.